Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Hey, Epicos, how's it going? Welcome, welcome. My name is Jacob Michalski. I am the Eastside Campus Pastor here at Epicos Church. Eastside, welcome. Nice to see you guys. I hope you're cheering over there on the East Side. And I just want to give a special welcome to all the church at all of our campuses, uh, Mayfair Road, Sherman Park. Those of you tuning in online, thank you for tuning in here today. And all, of course, all you beautiful people here in West Dallas, welcome, welcome. We're going to be in the book of James today. So if you want to grab that Bible, there's a Bible somewhere around you, maybe a seat back, maybe even underneath your seat, um, grab a Bible, turn to James. We're going to be parking there and really exploring the whole book of James here today. But before we dive in there, I just have a quick question to share with you. Have you, have you ever just dove headfirst into a hobby without fully realizing the learning curve that was really a part of, of going on with that hobby? I, I have a story to share with you about how I got involved with, uh, with kayaking. So, so in college, I had a buddy of mine that had this desire to do this kayaking trip. It was a very ambitious trip where we were going to go all the way up the coast of Wisconsin, even up to the UP on Lake Michigan um, with kayaks. And he, he actually talked me into doing it. So I was like, okay, never really kayaked before except for, you know, maybe a little bit at, at like camps or something like that for summer camps. But I was like, okay, let's go. I'm going all in. So I went online. I found a great deal for a fully outfitted kayak, a 15-foot alchemy dagger. If you're a kayaker, you know what that means. Very good brand. I I was excited. I was pumped. And the reason why I found a very good deal on this kayak was because I bought it at the end of February and early March, <laughs> which means like, you know, it's way out of season. So I, I got this big purchase. I was excited. I was ready and I couldn't do anything with it. You know, there was times where I'd take that kayak and I'd bring it down. I'd put it in my garage and I'd just sit in it with the oar, just waiting, waiting for the snow to melt, getting excited, getting ready to go. Finally, at the, at, the, at the end of April, early May, the ice finally melted off the lakes. The snow was finally melted. I live up in northern Wisconsin. You know, you're, you're in that, those times of winter, and then all of a sudden May hits, and things start to change, and you get really excited. And so I decided I'm going to take my kayak out for its maiden voyage on a nearby lake, and I bring it out there, and I'm pumped. I get it on the water, get in it, and I just start paddling. I was just going to take it for one lap. You know, maybe it'll take me a half hour. I thought this will be great. I got a quarter of the way in and realized, oh, the wind's picking up. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit windy out here. It's a little bit wavy out here. And then I started to feel it, this tingling in my toes. I did not anticipate this, but as you're in that confined space, you realize that, oh, your, your, your feet might fall asleep. <laughs> and and, and you, I didn't realize that. And I was like, oh, no, this is not good. It starts to get more and more painful. And my feet start to fall asleep more and more. And then I get halfway around and I cannot feel anything in my legs and realize, oh, no, oh, no, this is not good. I'm going to try to cut across the middle of this lake and get back to my car. But the problem was is the wind was so strong, and by this point, the wind was pushing me towards shore. So though I was trying to fight to get across the middle of the lake, it kept pushing me towards shore, and I ended up having to do the whole lap. And what a, a kayak trip that probably should have only taken me a half hour took me an hour and a half, my very first time out there. And I was exhausted fighting the wind, fighting the waves, and I finally got back to the boat launch. And by this point, I couldn't feel anything in my legs. And the water was probably like 40 degrees, but I didn't know that because 
because I couldn't feel anything. And so I step out of my kayak and I go to step out on the shore and all of a sudden, bam, I just fall flat on my face because I can't feel anything trying to walk. And I'm dragging myself up the boat launch and luckily the wind kept pushing my kayak and that didn't go flying out into the middle of the lake. It came and followed me into shore and I was really glad that no one else was crazy enough to be out on the water that day because I would have been totally embarrassed. But it was on that day that I realized, okay, it's one thing to own a kayak, right? But being good at actually kayaking That's a lifelong journey. It takes a lifetime of practice. And I believe that's what the book of James is exploring here today. Anyone can call themselves a Christian in name, right? But walking as a disciple of Jesus is a lifelong journey. And James is going to show us how do we foster a deep faith in our God and how does our faith work itself out to those around us. But before we dump into our dump, Oh my goodness. Before we jump into James itself, um, we just need to get some background information out of the way first. So look at James uh, chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. And so there's going to be a slide up here with a bunch of just general overview information, background information that's important for the book of James. The slide up will leave it up for you so you can have time to take it down. If you have, if you have notes, this is a great, great notes just to take as we explore the book of James. First point is the author of James, or Jacob, is the brother, actually the half, younger half-brother of Jesus. Um, and so you see right away in the beginning, the guy's name is James, the author of this book, which in Greek is Yaakobas, which is in Hebrew, a Hebrew name, Yaakov, which is actually Jacob. So I'm not going to advocate for like changing the, the, the scriptures and having us retranslate it as Jacob, but his name is actually Jacob, which I have to say is a really great name. I, I love the name Jacob, right? I mean, I'm a little partial, but um, just to limit confusion, we're going to be referring to him as James throughout this sermon. And he's a leader of the early church in Jerusalem, a pillar of this church. A church that lived through poverty, famine, persecution, and eventually James was martyred for his faith in Jesus. And so that's, that's our author that we're looking at here. Um, second point I want us to see is that James is a deeply influenced by Hebrew wisdom literature and the teachings of Jesus himself. So Hebrew wisdom literature, first, I mean the most, most common Hebrew wisdom literature that we have in our Bibles are the book of Proverbs. And really some people term the, the book of James as kind of the New Testament Proverbs. Um, Proverbs have these like short little pithy statements that take like one to three verses. Like, like in James, it's, he says, um, consider a rudder of a ship. Though it's a small piece on the ship. It'll turn that whole boat in either direction. In the same way, your tongue, though it's a small instrument of your body, it can actually dictate what you do in life. And so as you're going to go about your life, after hearing that statement that's memorable, you're going to see a rudder on a ship, and you might actually think about that nugget, that little piece of wisdom. And that's what Hebrew wisdom literature does. It sticks in your head in that way. Um, But also, James is influenced by the teachings of Jesus, um, specifically the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And you're going to see that the book of James is actually an outworking of Jesus and the greatest commandment, loving God and loving others. And as the half-brother of Jesus, you have, to, you have to imagine, James heard a lot about Jesus and his teachings in his lifetime. And so that has definitely influenced 
how he has written this book. And then the third and final piece of background information, this letter is a legacy of James' wisdom to the whole church. It's not addressing just a specific church or region, but he says it in that verse, verse 1, to the 12 tribes in dispersion which actually could mean just the 12 tribes of Israel. But we have, to, we have to remember, James is the leader of the early church movement in Jerusalem, which was primarily Jewish. So he's speaking to these, Jew, these Israelite, these Christian Jews there in Jerusalem. Um, but we know that with the stoning of Stephen, that the church scattered and was dispersed. So he's actually speaking into that moment. A moment when the church is scattered abroad, displaced from homes. They're facing persecution. They're facing poverty. This is the moment that James is writing into. And the wisdom of James is going to be the greatest commandment. Love God and love others. A wholehearted faith in God results in living faith that's demonstrated through acts of love and care for others. Here's, here's, the, here's our main premise for today in more simpler terms. A deep faith in God results in demonstrating the love of Jesus. A deep faith in God results in demonstrating the love of of Jesus. And so let's, let's dive into our text. We're going to just be looking at a really quick overview of James chapter 1. And I believe that as we have a firm grasp of James chapter 1, it's going to fuel us to read the rest of the book. Um, explore it in your small group, even explore it on your own and read it on your own this week. We're going to try to get a robust understanding of this idea in James chapter 1 that faith is so important in the foundation. Really, faith in the James chapter 1 is going to explore these ideas. As you, as you deepen in faith with God, your mindset is going to change in how you view the world. That's what James chapter 1 is exploring, and then that'll work itself out in the rest of the book as we see these, this faith being demonstrated. And so faith in its simplest of ter- terms is trusting in or walking with God. So James chapter 1, starting in verse 2, let's look at this together. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The very first aspect I want us to see here in the book of James chapter 1 is that as your faith in God deepens, you will see trials as an opportunity to grow. As your faith in God deepens, you will see trials as an opportunity to grow. Look at that verse. You see the progression that James has in there, right? He says, he says count it all joy. He doesn't say happiness, right? Something more deep than happiness. Not just happy-go-lucky, but a deep-seated joy at future hope. Think back to what we looked at with Paul in the letter of Philippians. A deep hope and joy that cannot be shaken by exterior circumstances. He says, count it all joy when you face trials. What kind of trials? Various kinds. He just throws them all in the same bucket, right? This is the, the, the little tiny annoyances in life, and this is also the deep, deep-seated trials in life that change and shake everything that we know. James says all of it. Anytime you face trials in life, you can count it joy. Why? Because they test your faith. And this testing of your faith produces steadfastness, produces loyalty, commitment, devotion. And then this steadfastness, when it's complete, it'll complete and perfect you into the image of Jesus. Like, like gold that's put in a furnace and purified to take out all the, the imperfections in it. And it comes out shining more glorious than ever when it's put through a furnace. The hardships and trials we face 
our opportunities to grow. And I mean, in our culture, actually, we, we look at this a lot. Have you ever done anything that was hard and difficult to receive some, for, some sort of benefit on the other end? Like dieting and workout culture here in this day and age, very common, very prevalent. Um, I don't work out and I don't run because um, I don't like hurting myself. Um, and so, like, <laughs> in all honesty, right? And so, um, but, but you go through that hurt, you go through that pain so you can get healthier on the other side, right? That's what working out and dieting is all about. Um, I, I learned how to play guitar a while back and I'm not a good guitar player, all right? But I remember going through that process and learning, like, your fingers hurt after you play guitar for three minutes when you're first starting out because those strings are cutting into your fingertips. But eventually, as you keep practicing and practicing, your fingers build up these calluses and that becomes less and less painful and you see it working itself out in your life. But, but life is a little bit more difficult than playing guitar or instruments and, and working out, right? Like Life can face us with trials of various kinds that shake us to the core. And really, in my life, um, there's a, there was a, a very major trial that I experienced in my life that's very important to my faith journey. Um, when, I was a, when I was a freshman in high school, I remember going to school that day. Um, first hour was gym class, which was fun and great, you know, get to get all the energy out. And then I was sitting, waiting in the beginning of my bi- biology class. I don't know what they were talking about, but I was waiting there in biology class, and then the principal came into my room that I was in class and told me to come with her. I was like, okay, what's up with this, right? And so I followed her and she was really nice and friendly, which was weird because she wasn't a very friendly person. Um, and then it, she, she led me to, to the office. And uh, we went to a conference room there in the office and all my family was there and present. And there was only one person that was missing. And that was my dad. Uh, that morning, he got in a car accident on his way to work. And at that moment, my life changed forever. Um, at that moment, I, I started to really question my faith. Um, but God actually used that in my life to draw me closer to him. You see, as I was wrestling with my faith, as I was questioning my faith, I saw the church come alongside me and my family. And men from the church stepped into my life pointed me to the gospel, pointed me to truth, pointed me to God's word, and God used that to draw my heart closer to him. And though I look back on that, and I never want to ever go through that again, I do never want my kids to go through that again, or to, to ever go through that or experience that in their lives, I can come these years down the road looking back at that time and realize, you know what? Because of that moment in time, because of that trial, I would not be standing before you today. I believe God used that to draw my heart and true faith and devotion to him. Because of that trial, I don't think I'd be on this platform in Milwaukee at Epicos Church, even in ministry, because of that. And so we see that God takes the darkness and the messiness of our lives and he works it out for his good. And you know what? I, I don't know how, how you walked in, in here today, whatever campus you're from or even here in West Dallas. If you are walking through a trial right now, maybe you're going through grief. I can tell you as going through that, that your life is not going to be the same. And I can't promise that your life's going to be better on the other side of trial. But your, li- your life is going to be different. But God works in that mess. God works 
in that darkness. And it's during those times that we need to lean into our communities. That's why God established the church, is to, to, to come alongside of us as we're going through the darkness and the trials and the messiness of life. Lean into your community. If you're going through grief right now and trial right now, ask your campus pastor. Reach out to them. We have ways in which we can come alongside you and help you through to the other side. James chapter 1. We're going to continue on in verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Second point I want us to see is as your faith in God deepens, you will begin to stop trusting in your wealth. As your faith in God deepens, you will begin to stop trusting in your wealth. James tells us in these verses how foolish it is to lean into wealth and to trust in wealth, right? Think about it the next time you mow your lawn. That's the illustration that James gives, right? Next time you mow your lawn, just like the flower of the grass dries up, just like the flower of the grass, your wealth will dry up and pass away. When you cut your mow, mow your lawn, you have that fresh green grass clippings that are still vibrant and bright, but as soon as the, the afternoon sun comes and bakes them and scorches them, they dry out and the wind comes along and blows them away. That's just like wealth. Your wealth will dry up and fade in this life. If you're, if you're trusting in your wealth for, for security and for financial peace in life, then you know what? It's very fragile. You're one bad day in the stock market <laughs> from your wealth going to the wayside. And so J James is telling us, don't put all of, your, all of your trust in that, but trust in something that's deeper and more eternal, like God and your faith and your standing through Jesus. Money is so important in this culture, but we as followers of Jesus need to keep it in its proper, proper perspective. Now money is not bad, okay? I want to preface that. That God actually uses people within the church and gives them financial means to further his kingdom and further his purposes. We even see this in the life of, life of Paul and how people were able, with financial means, had houses that they can open up for house churches. And we see that God actually uses that wealth. But service to money will kill you, church. Service to money as your ultimate source of security and foundation in life will kill you kill you. You'll fall and bake in the sun as trials come, just like James says. Trusting in financial security instead of trusting in God will draw your heart away from him. It can weaken your faith when money is raised up as an idol in life. Let's go to our next point. Chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. You see what James is saying here in these verses is the reward of faith remaining steadfast in trial is life. But look at verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown brings forth death. Here we see, as your faith in God deepens, you will be pursuing life and fleeing temptation. As your faith in God deepens, you will pursue life and flee temptation. 
You see, once again, James gives us another progression to follow in these verses. He says, when you're, when you're tempted, that temptation lots of times can, be lure, can lure you and entice you when it comes and grabs hold of your own sinful, fleshly desires within you. And those desires are going to, those unhealthy desires, when they form inside you, they form sin. And sin, when it, when it is fully formed, is going to eventually bring about your death. You see the illustration? He uses the word for, for when that sin is formed. What does he say? What's he say? When it's conceived. When it's conceived, just like a child. Just like when a child is conceived in the womb and you bear that child. What do you do with a child, with a kid? You, you, you care for them. You love them. You foster them. You raise them. You, you, you make them grow big and strong. And eventually, James is saying, if you're fostering sin and you bear sin and you keep feeding sin and raising up sin, eventually that child is going to grow up to be an adult. And what's that adult going to do? It's going to kill you. That's a very vibrant, vibrant picture, isn't it, that James is painting of how we, how we deal with our sin and interact with it. Can I, can I share you uh, a story or just a, a fun fact about me? I'm, I'm a dog person, all right? It's not that I don't, it's not that I don't like cats. I just, I had, I had some, someone in my life um, very impact me deeply to have a negative view of cats. And it was a cat itself, and her name was Lily. And, and this cat, Lily, every time, ever since we got her into our household, um, it was aggressive. <laughs> it, was, it was violent. I swear that this cat was possessed by a demon. I mean, I, would, I am almost sure of it. It was so violent and aggressive. Before it, was even, before it was even nine months, we had to get it declawed, front and back claws, because it was so violent. You'd be walking through the living room, and it'd be hiding under the couch, waiting for your feet to go by, and then just start gnawing on them as you get close. It was a horrible, horrible cat. And you know what? My sister loved this cat to death. I do not understand why. Even to this day, that cat did absolutely nothing for her, but she loved it. She cherished it. She fed the thing. She kept the thing clean. And you know what? That cat was still a horrible, horrible fixture to our household, and yet she loved it. And even when my sister was holding the cat and petting it, you know that weird groaning sound that cats make when they're really mad? Like, that's what the cat was doing. It was terrible. And the cat hated her, but she loved and cherished that cat. And so when my sister had to move out of the house to go to college, she took the cat with her, praise Jesus. And you know what? I was, I was, I was, I was convinced that this cat was going to kill her in her sleep one night. Like, it was that horrible of a creature. And that's similar to the view that James is painting for sin, right? We, when, when we have sin awaken in us, being lured and enticed by our own fleshly desires. What happens? We give, we give in to our sinful temptations. They're going to lead us to our death. And just like you nurture a, a cat or a child, you nurture your sin, right? You make time for it in your life. You, you give it space in your mind and continue to think about it and process it. You feed it. Whether it's, it's lust and pornography whether it's wrestling with anger and bitterness and continually feeding that in your mind, eventually it's going to grow and grow and grow. And James says it's going it's to kill you. Now, how, how, do we, how do we combat this? I, I mean, I believe our, our habits and our practices and how we live in this world 
They form us. They shape us. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, are your habits nurturing God's spirit? Or are they nurturing your sin through the flesh? And our habits are so important. The practices that we do are so important. Your sin will draw your heart away from God, and it will kill you. Take sin seriously. You know what the best combat for sin is? Drag that sucker out into the light. Tell somebody about it. Drag it into the light and bring, invite other people in to come alongside of you in that. Let's continue to our final point that we see here in James chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Fourth point I want us to see is as your faith in God deepens, you will begin to trust in God's wisdom. As your faith in God deepens, you will begin to trust in God's wisdom. God himself has revealed his wisdom to us in his word. Praise the Lord that he has shown us the wisdom. He has shown us the way to life through his word. This is why we at Epico study God's word together. This is why we break up into small groups throughout the week and look at books of the Bible and passages of scripture. This is why we preach through books of the Bible here at Epicos because we believe so seriously in God's word and that it can look at our lives and, and show us true wisdom in life. It is a mirror that allows us to see into our hearts and into our very souls, what is truly going on inside of us. So what is one of the first things you do every morning? I mean, I'll just tell you from my experience, the first thing I do is I go to the bathroom, and I take a look at myself in the mirror. And lots of times, I don't like what I see. (laughs) You know, like after you sleep and mat up your hair and everything, you're just like, I'm disgusting. And now if I don't go into a mirror and look at myself and say, oh, well, and just walk away. No, I don't. I have a, a, a regimen that I do every morning. I, I shower, brush my teeth. I'm me as a beard owner, I pay special attention to this part of my face, right? And I'm glad you asked because it's a strict regimen of blow drying um, while wet with a great comb. First a boar's bristle brush on the top layers and then a more um, coarser comb to tease out and straighten the hair. Afterwards, you put in a nice luscious beard balm to give it that shiny, beautiful appearance and that's how you get a beard like this. Takes about 10 minutes every morning but I take the time to do that, right? Because I look into a mirror and I say, "My, my beard looks terrible. Let's fix it, right? That is what God's word does to our souls. God's word shows us the way to true life in our very souls. And as we, as it reveals to us ways in which, you know what? This is not the way of following Jesus. Through his spirit, 
He corrects us. He changes us. He shapes us. All we have to do is submit to God's word, the mirror to our hearts and the mirror to our souls. And that's what a deep faith will foster in us. So back to that main premise statement that we started today with. A deep faith in God results in demonstrating the love of Jesus. This is what, that second half of that statement is what we are going to be seeing throughout James chapter 2 through 5. Now we don't have time this morning to, to go and search those scriptures and look at that, but I do want us to really focus on one particular passage. As we, as we get a firm grasp of chapter one, we'll be able to understand the rest of James. James chapter two, verse 14. This is question number two in your study guide. I'm one of those substitute teachers that comes in and gives you the answers, so you're welcome. Look at James chapter two, verse 14. Let me read it for us, and we'll see how James one infers and shows us with this passage. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Do you see what element of of faith is at play here in this proverb? He says, a brother or sister comes to you. They're lacking the things necessary for life, daily food and clothing. Now, if you have an unhealthy relationship with money or your material wealth, Someone will come to you in those needy situation and you'll just say, be warmed and filled. I hope, I, hope, I hope life goes well for you. But if just like we saw in James chapter, chapter 1, we realize that you know, wealth and holding on to it is very unhealthy if I'm, if I'm holding on to it so tightly. I'm willing to be giving and generous by the grace of Jesus to this person. And we see that when we have a proper perspective in our faith of things like material possessions, we will be more willing to help those in need through generosity. And say a deep faith in God that properly sees wealth will actually result in an active faith that is generous. Or as James says later, chapter 2, verse 26, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, how do we read this book of James and not feel the weight, right? If, if, if you leave here today thinking, I need to make a checklist and go through everything in my life and create a checklist and check the box when I do this and do that and do good things and don't do bad things, right? Then you're totally missing the point of what James is saying as a whole. Pastor Frank, two weeks ago, took us through the book of Galatians. And the main premise in that book is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And that is true, and that is something we need to hold on to. Well, then what are we supposed to do with these Proverbs of James and this wisdom of James? Well, I'm going to give you two tools in closing here today that I think will help us as we consider and step back from the book of James. The first is we need to continually remind ourselves of the gospel. You're going to read James, and you're going to read through, and there's going to be things like James really feels like it's reading your mail, right? (laughs) Like it's got a deep insight into your soul. It's going to reveal things like, oh man, you struggle maybe with uh, partiality and favoritism. You're struggling with your speech and your words and how you're using them, or your wealth and your finances. When you get to a statement like this and it really hits home, it's just an indicator that, the gospel of Jesus has not sunk deep enough into your roots. Like, like, like Frank mentioned two weeks ago, like Pastor Frank mentioned, 
The spirit, the spiritual fruit of that tree needs to be sunken deep into the roots of Jesus. And so find a way to remind yourself of the gospel and remind yourself of Jesus on a daily, daily basis. Our practices, our habits, they form us, they shape us. Find practices that form habits in your life that draw your heart and affections towards Jesus and the gospel. Now habits and practices, we we talk a lot about spiritual practices. In the back of your study guides, a whole list of spiritual practices. These are not obligations, all right? If there are obligations, that brings us into the waters of legalism, like Frank was talking about two weeks ago, and we do not want to fall into those waters. But what they are is their invitations to life, and life by walking with Jesus. Start with Scripture. Read, read, read the Scriptures and pour them into your heart. Introduce music into your life that fosters worship. Go for a walk even in silence and solitude and consider God our creator in nature. That's the first tool. Second tool is find community. If you notice how James ends his book, James chapter five, verse 19 says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You see what James is suggesting in that verse? We're supposed to care for each other. We're supposed to live life in community. Do you know how how I got better at kayaking? I found a buddy. I found a friend. I went online and found an online community of people that gave me tips and tricks and and wisdom and how to be a better kayaker. And I'm not a good kayaker by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm sure better than that day that I went around the lake in an hour and a half, right? This is why we believe in small groups, and small groups are the lifeblood here of Epicos Church. Through community, we're encouraged to follow Jesus. Through community, we're challenged to live out our faith. Through community, we're comforted when life gets difficult. And through community, we find true life. Brother, sister in Jesus, we are not meant to live this life alone in isolation. We are meant and built and created to live in community. Right now, we're coming towards the, towards the end of our spring small group season, but summer brings a new small group season. I want to encourage you, sign up for a small group. Find a small group to be a part of a community if you're not already. Another great tool, though, and a way to be involved in community is through serving here at Epicos. You all got one of these Connect cards here today. On the back side of that Connect card is this little box in the upper right-hand corner. If you want to receive more information about serving on a team, check that box. I find that when you serve Jesus together on a team in service of each other, you actually, you actually draw, draw closer to Jesus, and you draw closer to each other, and you build friendships and community. So fill that in if you want more information about serving on a team. Otherwise, you can always go to the hub to, to, to go and, and find information and sign up for a service team as well at your campus, wherever you are, or even on your phone at thehub.epicos.org. I want to encourage us, church. As the book of James is, is, is showing us, the, the, the way of following Jesus is a lifelong process that's eventually going to lead to our lives. Let's not waste it here in these moments. Get into community. Bring practices in your life that draw your affections towards Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, Lord in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a mirror to our very souls, and that through your word we find life. We thank you that, that as, we, as we grow closer and deeper in our faith in Jesus, you allow us to see the world differently as never before. 
And that as we see your world differently, we'll demonstrate the love of Jesus to all of those around us. Lord, I pray that um, today that your spirit would take and use this word to work in our hearts, to show us how you want us to live in this life as, we, as, we come, as you come alongside of us and are bringing about your kingdom in our midst, Lord. I pray that your spirit would give us, give us thoughts and, 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 and really show us the way of Jesus as we live our lives. Lord, Lord, bless us as we continue to study James throughout this week and may it reveal truth to us like never before. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.